Welcome back to the TLD Art News Podcast. I'm Jack Kelly and this week I'm joined by Zach Michaelis. Hello. And Ben Blissett. Hello. How are you both doing? Good. Yeah, very well. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah. It's been a little while since the three of us have been together. Yeah, how have you been? Have you been away? <laughs> I've been away. Rory's now ill. Uh, he so he's not here. <laughs> he yeah. Up, yeah, we'll have everyone back together one day. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a while, but yeah. we'll be back. We'll be back. We survived anyway. We did. Yeah. Someone who might not be back, Suella Braverman, is oh, our. What what your Jesus Christ! Absolutely handbroken. Sorry, um, Suella Braverman though. Yeah. She's our main story today. Um, we're discussing the latest news out of Westminster. Mm-hmm. We're also going to be talking about some underreported stories, as always, brought to you by Ben and Zach. And at the end, we'll be doing the World Leader Leaderboard. Okay. So let's get into it. Let's start with underreported stories. And Ben, let's start with yours. Yeah. So um, a video that went out on the UK channel uh, either this week or last week was to do with the Renters Reform Bill um, and the changes that it's going to be uh, that, that it's making to to renting. Um, one of the uh, sort of side effects from this, though, that's been reported this week is the massive increase in use of Section Twenty One notices. So Section Twenty One notices are. Um, uh, it gives the landlord the power to evict tenants um, without without faults. It's no fault mm-hmm. evictions. Um, the renters' reform bill aims to to ban them. Um, th- there has been some um, speculation that there will be uh, loopholes in the bill to allow landlords to use no fault evictions. But landlords are getting wary that they're not going to be able to use these soon. Mm-hmm. So uh, ahead of the bill. Uh, being made law, landlords are seemingly kicking out um, tenants. So uh, this year, Section 21 notices, the, the use of them has increased by 38% and it's at wow. a seven-year high, uh, the, the, the the use of them. So I think the government is obviously trying to stop um, uh, people being kicked out, but an, an unintended side effect of the, the, the bill being introduced is the fact that landlords are trying to use these seemingly um, before they feel that they're not able to. Uh, and this is obviously, you know, it's it's bad for people that are renting. It's, 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 it's uh, the, the security that people feel um, with renting. That's obviously one of the big issues mm-hmm. and one of the issues that the, the bill is nominally trying to solve. And one of the side effects, unfortunately, has actually been to, to increase the use of these uh, for them being bad. I know over the, the, the long term, it should hopefully make things better, but at least in the short term, mm-hmm. Uh, it's certainly not good news. Zach, what's your underreported story? My underreported story, I mean, it's a bit it's a bit cheap of me to call it underreported because I did report on it, but I still think it is underreported and I still just really think it's very interesting, is the tensions in Ethiopia, between mm-hmm. Ethiopia and its Red Sea neighbours. So that's sort of like Somalia, Djibouti and uh, Eritrea. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an interesting story for a whole lot of reasons. I mean, obviously, it's the prospect of a war. So mm-hmm. Somalia's, um, Ethiopia's been threatening those countries because it wants permanent access to one of their ports on the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. And the Prime Minister, Abiy Ahmed, has been talking about how that's their historic right and all that sort of shenanigans. Sure. Um, but the other reason I think it's a really interesting story is because it's about, in some part, this this entire story is a sort of function of the 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 diplomatic revival of places like Eritrea. Mm-hmm. So Eritrea was a complete pariah state for a while, uh, which made it very diplomatically reliant on its neighbours. But, and, and again, this is a story about this wider realignment. It's with sort of countries like China, Iran, Russia, and uh, North Korea, I mean, North Korea to a lesser extent, developing ties with Eritrea. Eritrea just all of a sudden has this room for manoeuvre. And it's a symptom of the fact that when you have this sort of like, what's, I mean, I think sometimes unfairly described as an axis of evil, these sort of like... Mm-hmm. Um, slightly chaotic group of countries providing diplomatic support to other more minor autocratic regimes, it does create this instability and it does sort of encourage them uh, into, you know, like kicking off a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And so 
Yeah, in some part, the Ethiopia Eritrea tensions are part of this like wider global shift um, that has emboldened slightly more autocratic regimes. Mm. But yeah, so that's my that's my report. Story. And where can you watch the video about that? <laughs> TLDR Global. There we go. Yeah. Um, okay, great. Thank you both. Both interesting stories, both illuminating and enlightening. Um, let's get into the main story, though. The latest updates about Swallow Braverman in the UK. Ben, do you want to give us a quick rundown of what's been happening and what the latest updates are? Yes, there's been a bit of speculation for a few weeks now that um, Suella Bradman is basically trying to get herself fired from mm-hmm. uh, from the cabinet as Home Secretary. Um, she's sometimes uh, acted with disloyalty, I think it's fair to say, <laughs> sure. towards, uh, towards the Prime Minister. But it seems that her actions uh, today... Uh, might be the thing that pushes Sunak over the edge and and does um, make him decide to fire it. In fact, mm-hmm. obviously, at the time of recording, she is still the Home Secretary. I think it's probably um, important to, to point that out. But basically, she's written a article for The Times, which, be, which has been published today, and it's all about um, the protests that are going to be taking place on Saturday for Gaza, so the pro, pro-Palestine pro um, marches. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Saturday is uh, Remembrance Day. Yes. Um, and... There is concern uh, among the right, I think it's fair to say, or uh, among the government, specifically um, the government as well, about the potential for the pro-Palestine marches to disrupt remembrance Mm -hmm. um, on Saturday. And this has been sort of a bit of a national um, uh, debate recently. Uh, Braverman wrote the article basically describing pro-Palestine marches hate marches, Mm -hmm. and she compared them to sectarian rallies in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. Um, she's also had a pop at the uh, Metropolitan Police, uh, accusing them of double standards and saying that they take a soft approach to left-wing marches like Black Lives Matter, uh, rather than um, how they act to like football hooliganism mm-hmm. and uh, anti-lockdown marches. Um, basically, this is her, her criticism towards the Met has been because the Met has come out and said that the Saturday, this Saturday, the, remembran- mm-hmm. the, 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 the marches for Palestine on Remembrance Day um, doesn't meet the threshold for serious disorder that would give the police the ability to ban that protest. Okay. So they're allowing the pro-Palestine march to go ahead. So Bradman has effectively uh, criticised the police, mm-hmm. criticised an operational decision of the police, which yeah. is to do with um, allowing the march to go ahead on Saturday, um, and described, pro painted with a broad brush, Pro-Palestine marches, hate marches. Mm-hmm. Um, now, she did tell the Prime Minister on on Wednesday, so at the time of recording yesterday, so Wednesday this week, um, that she's going to be publishing this article. Okay. And sent the article in advance to the Prime Minister. He made edits to it, but she didn't accept them all, and it's now gone out today. Okay. Now, the, the, the reason that this could lead to her being fired is, well, firstly, she's undermined the operational independence of the police, which mm-hmm. is important, and as Home Secretary, she shouldn't be doing. Sure. So that is obviously the idea that the police should operate... Uh, uh, in a distinct manner to mm-hmm. the Home Office, yeah. two distinct branches. Um, so she's undermined that. And she might have broken the ministerial code on two counts. Uh, the first one is, uh, it was obviously not signed off by the Prime Minister. Mm-hmm. Um, any communications, uh, the ministerial code says that all major interviews and me- media appearances, both print and broadcast, need to be signed off by the press office. Yeah. Uh, which it, it which wasn't. wasn't. Yeah. Uh, the second thing is it could break collective cabinet responsibility. And there is has been some discussion about whether it does that. Um, the argument that it, it doesn't break collective cabinet responsibility is basically that it, it usually just refers to policy. Mm-hmm. So it's the argument of whether what she's written actually refers to policy or it was more of a generic sort of statement. Again, there's no. it's quite clear she's probably broken the first one and there's debate about whether she's broken the second one. And usually if you break the ministerial code, you either resign or are sacked. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, but this actually puts Sunak in quite an awkward position because he's obviously got two options now. Uh, fire her, mm-hmm. um, which would uh, be basically what she wants and what yeah. a lot of people have been suggesting she's been trying to do for the last two weeks. Um, the reason being that on the back benches... Um, obviously, the Tories are, look like look like they're going to lose the next election. Sure. On the back benches, she can then, when they do lose, say, I wasn't involved in any of that. Mm-hmm. I was on the back bench. I was criticising them from the back. I should be the next leader. They did terribly. Sure. So it positions her quite well to make a leadership challenge, which she, she probably will do if, um, if uh, Sunak loses the next election. Um, so he probably won't want to sack her. But if he leaves her in post, it makes him look incredibly weak. You've got yeah. a minister that's been outwardly sort of rebellious against you, uh, didn't you know, possibly broken the ministerial code, possibly undermined uh, the operational independence of the police. And it'll be quite obvious to most people mm-hmm. that the only reason he's kept her in the cabinet is because he's worried about um, her doing a leadership bid or, or her, her leadership ambitions. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's not a great position for him to be in. Both options seem pretty bad. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's basically what's been happening. And, and, and the discussion now is what Sunak's going to do and uh, what the best decision seems to be from his perspective. Zach, what's your take on both her actions and also the likelihood of Sunak having to step in and do something here? I mean, it comes to my my personal take on Sula Bravman's like you know statement and article. Like Ben, I don't think it's a good thing. I think there's a reason that the Home Secretary is supposed to basically be consistent in terms of her messaging with the police Mm -hmm. and not criticise the police. And that's sort of just that's a reflection of the constitutional structure of the UK. Um, When but when as to, I think the, the interesting question here is not about whether or not I think it's like right or wrong. It's it's more about the politics mm-hmm. of it. Um, and I'm slightly divided here because on the one hand, I actually think from Suella Bravman's perspective, it's not bad if if she wants to become leader. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty good tactic, really, because not only do uh, well, it turns out polling suggests that actually a majority of Brits want the protests to be stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been polling out I think today that says 50% of Brits want it to be stopped and 32% want the protests to go ahead remaining 18% don't know, but also the vast, vast majority of the Tory base mm-hmm. obviously want the protests to be to be stopped. Um, and, and that's the, the audience that she's trying to play up to. So, you know, from her perspective, I think it's actually a pretty, it's a pretty savvy move. I think sure. she's making uh, a good pitch for the, um, for the, for the leadership. Um, and I think that this, again, it goes back to this wider problem for Sunak, which is that he just can't maintain unity mm-hmm. when a election loss is so inevitable. Yeah. And you enter this horrible positive feedback loop from his perspective where you know the disunity makes your polling worse which makes mm-hmm. the disunity worse which makes the polling worse um uh from Sue, i mean from Sue's perspective i think to be honest i just think it's sort of irrelevant like he's mm-hmm. going to lose either way the polling is really appalling for the tories at the moment yeah um and the po- actually to suggest that even though starmer hasn't really had a great week that he's actually increased his lead in the last mm-hmm. couple of days or so um, so I, I think from Sunet's point, it doesn't really mean he's going to last until the end of the election, then he's going to be gone. Yeah. I think it's sort of redundant whether or not he fires her. Mm-hmm. Um, and sure, she has, uh, you know, she, she has a bit more space uh, to criticise the government if she does end up on the back benches, but clearly she's criticising them already. Mm-hmm. So I don't really think it makes much of a difference to her leadership ambitions either if she gets fired. I think that's sort of redundant. I think that you're just going to keep on seeing her criticise the government from the back benches or from the front benches. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I think she's making quite an effective plot for leadership. The only thing that I think is interesting is this is yet another example of Suella Braverman importing American political talking mm. points, uh, which don't, I mean, this one, sure, there's a majority support for it, at least according to polling, but actually that's just not a good political tactic in the UK. Um, we just, 
we haven't our police and like the issue of policing is not as politicized mm-hmm. in the UK as it is in America. And I think you all saw this last week when she put out a series of tweets, or maybe it was also a piece about rough sleeping. Sure. Where she yeah. described yeah. homelessness as a lifestyle choice. Yeah. And said she wanted to like um come up with new was it planning tents? Yeah, about like planning, yeah. Um and her she explicitly made reference to San Francisco and LA, mm-hmm. which is the sort of thing that if you're like hyper politicized, if you're a politico like yeah. us and you spend your life on Twitter, you yeah. understand those references, you've seen those videos. But mm-hmm. your median British voter has no idea what you're talking about yeah. when you talk about like the San Francisco homelessness situation. But again, I think actually the it probably plays quite well with the Tory base. Yeah. Who probably are aware of those sort of like Republican talking points, mm-hmm. let's say. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't think it's good, but I understand why she's done it, and I think she's probably making a pretty effective ploy for the leadership. Mm. I sort of, I sort of agree. When you were saying that it, it, both situations effectively, you know, seem just as bad for for, for Sunak, I think I, I tend to agree. I just think that that sacking her because his issue coming into the leadership was that the Tories had been, uh, you know, comes off the back of Boris Johnson, who broke a ton of rules and yeah. and got ousted because of that, and Liz Truss as well. Um, I think that, that, and he did his whole opening speech about how he's going to bring back accountability and professionalism mm-hmm. to the role. And I think that if he is going to be true to that, and again, I, I agree with you, it's almost certainly that he's, he's going to lose the next election and all of this is kind of redundant at this point. Um, but I think it is just slightly better to sack her and to be able to say, look, she was, she, you know, she undermined operational independence. She broke the ministerial code. Mm-hmm. She's gone. I'm, you know, I'm being professional and everything. She can run her leadership you know, bid from the from the backbench, and she can try try and do all of that. But ultimately, Sunak's going to remain in post until uh, the election, at least. Um, and he's almost certainly going to have to resign or go if he loses the election. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, I just think it, it, of the two options, it seems it seems the more sensible one for him to get rid of her and to sack her. It's not great. I mean, it, we're talking <laughs> about mild, you know, yeah, mildly yeah, better. Yeah. But um, I, I, I do just think that that's the more sensible option at this yeah. point. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I see what you're going at here. I think that that's true in a sense. I think there is another, there's a sort of, uh, a risk on the flip side, which is that if he does fire her, he does risk upsetting more of the Tory right wing. Sure. Um, and he's already presiding over a, a deeply fractured party, and that might just exacerbate you could, his internal You divisions. could always appoint another right winger to the, the, the Home Office to sort of appease to appease them. I know that they'll still be annoyed that Braverman's gone, but, you know, the the, the less sort of personality-based right wingers uh, in the, in the uh, <laughs> Conservative Party might be... Um, might be appeased by that. It is appalling just how dysfunctional that, that, that the entire party is. And um, <laughs> yeah, I know. I do think it actually all comes down to this tension that I mentioned a second ago, I didn't really flesh out, mm. which is this tension between the general public and even the sort of like the Tory voting base mm. and the Tory membership, which is just a lot more right wing than even the Tory voting base. And when Sarah Brahman is saying stuff like this, again, this one might be specifically popular, but her other policies and her other talking points and her like ridiculously harsh line on immigration, and I think she said stuff like diversity has failed or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. All those sort of things, they they play very well with a very with basically just the Tory membership and the very specific slice of the most right-wing bit of the British electorate. But they don't play well in the wider public. And there's Ipsos polling from this today, actually, which shows that Suella Brabman is the least popular of all <laughs> conservative front benches that people recognise for that mm-hmm. matter. Um, but the, the issue for, for the Tory party as a whole, or for the electability of the Tory party, is that while it might be true, and while she's clearly deeply, deeply unpopular with the wider public, this sort of stuff just does play well with the Tory membership. Mm-hmm. And that's clearly her intended audience. Yeah. And there's just no way of them resolving this tension. I mean, it does remind you of the Jeremy Corbyn years, when that tension became glaringly apparent within the Labour Party, that the membership was more left-wing than the voting base or the required voting base if they wanted to get a majority. 
Um, and the Labour Party, you know, they, they, they've sort of solved that conundrum. But mm. It's a bit of a historical con- contingency that they did. I mean, they got sort of lucky that Starmer was there and that he was a bit cheeky in that he basically said he was more left-wing than he really was <laughs> and then moved right. And whether or not the Tories have a similar figure in the sort of remnants of their parliamentary party yeah. that can drag them back to the centre is a really open question. And I really do think the most likely outcome is they, you know, they collapse. You've just went to script about Nigel Farage, maybe take over, but it'll be someone like Farage or Suella Braverman or someone on the right wing of the party that can appease the base. Yeah. And then where does the Tory party go? Is that just, it just pushes itself further into oblivion. I feel like Rishi Sunak was supposed to be their Keir Starmer, yeah. but they've, he's failed. And so now they're just going to drift even further. I think, I think with all, I, I agree with absolutely all of that. And just as a side note on the Farage thing, I, I, obviously a lot of the videos that we write um sometimes speculative mm. um and it, it's not necessarily but i actually that is one that i do i, I really do buy the, the argument that he could be the next tory leader yeah. but that that's that's a conversation for another time i think just on on the the actual state of the party you know governments that are in for a long time sometimes do burn out and run out of idea mm-hmm. ideas and factionalism sort of sets in um i know that this is we're going back a little bit here but the 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 Post-war Atley government had had that. <laughs> just, just, just very quickly, incredibly, oh, in just incredibly, like incredibly quickly. Now, <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know. It's still there. Um, oh. Anyway, by the end of that factionalism setting, and they 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 were out of office, and they spent the time out of office figuring out what they just. Bear with me. Bear with me. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. You go on, go on, kid. Go on. Tell us about the mid 1900s. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. Um, I, but this is the reason I bring it up is it's a pattern that repeats. It's not just it's not mm. just relevant to then. Mm. Is that you have a government in charge? They the factionalism sets in, and in their period of uh, when they're out of office, they do soul searching. They figure yeah. out what the party stands for, and they come back together. And they managed to do that, and they managed to get back in office following that. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly where we're at now. The the the, the, the only difference now is that we're, the, it, we're in this weird limbo period where they already know they're going to be out of office sure. next year. They're just not yet, and it's so odd watching them and watching them be mm-hmm. effectively an opposition party doing the soul searching, but while they're still in government. Yeah. That's the that's the unique part mm-hmm. here. You have governments that burn out lose elections, then do the soul searching. Yeah. The, the, the weird thing is, is that that's been brought forwards a year and you're watching the government who's meant to be ruling, basically using all of these opportunities that they should be using to run the country to effectively try and bring the party back together sure. uh, to stop electoral oblivion. And it seems that everything they do just makes things worse. Sunak tried not to put too much legislation in the King's speech in an attempt to, you know, um, appease everybody. So he put something too right-wing in there, it'll upset some people, so he tried to keep it light. And that's just upset people because the nothing in mm-hmm. there it's 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 he's it, it's not legislating he's not being a prime minister it's just it, it really is odd watching this slow motion car crash uh happen um and it's gonna be weird that the next year i just I, I don't see everything he does seems to be an mm-hmm. attempt to fix the problem and everything he does seems to make things worse i can't believe i'm gonna actually refer back to your atley reference but i do <laughs> think it's interesting when people are talking about the tour experience right now, how they, is he allowed to talk about Atley? Why, why is this? Well, he's already you've broken the seal now. Yeah, exactly. Um, but people often refer back to. I mean, they don't normally go as far back as Atley. <laughs> sure. they, they often refer back to the classic is the post Thatcher. Yes. Of, yeah. The Tories and the sort of like the soul searching that goes on then. Um, but I think that there are there are the, when you think about it in those terms, there's sort of there's a basic assumption that the Tory party is just going to survive in mm-hmm. some form or another. It's going to do a Thatcher. It's going to do an Attlee. You know, the two big parties have always been there, and they're just going to survive. But the polling is so bad for the Tories at the moment. I mean, the, I think the latest maybe UCOV is saying that 
They're at 23 points. The Labour's 47. Yeah. Which is appalling. I mean, that's just literally half. That's half mm. the Labour vote share. That's madness. Yeah. You know, if that actually manifests at a general election, and that might sound pessimistic from the Tories' perspective. I mean, that might sound unrealistic. Tories will say, like, oh, the polling will tighten up by the election. But at the moment, it's really not tightening up, mm. and they look more dysfunctional than ever. So there's good reason to think it will maybe even widen. You know, if that actually manifests, then that is not a sort of Thatcher... It's yeah, not, it's not a ninety-two or ninety-seven situation. It's not an Attlee situation because you don't have the parliamentary base that both of those opposition governments end exactly. up having. You know, if you get if those if those results are translated to a general election, you end up with less than one hundred MPs, you, and then it, you're basically the Lib Dems. I mean, you're you're, it, you're irrelevant. It, if those numbers <laughs> are correct, wow. if those Bang, <laughs> Nick Clegg. <laughs> Um, <laughs> those numbers are correct. I think it's even worse than 100. I think it's it's far fewer. I, mean, yeah, I don't know what the maths is. I think it, I think the maths is that it is a lot a, a lot fewer. In fact, in in some counts, um, the, the if if that polling is correct, I don't know if it's exactly that, but um, the Lib Dems become the second the second party, yeah. Yeah. which is which is. I well, mean, I still think that instinctively that's that's obviously that's not. not but the but Can the fact imagine? that even yeah. those <laughs> but the fact that, that those are even being just floated yeah, based yeah, on course. polling yeah. numbers yeah. is what that's never going to happen. But just no. the fact that that's being discussed yeah, is yeah. nuts. But we've also. And yeah, again, the reason I want to mention that is because I think that's a sort of that's a, a mistake by virtue of the fact that 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 sort of take is just too UK centric. Mm. And if you look at the rest of Europe, you see that established yeah. parties die; like mm-hmm. they just do die. Yeah. If you have one really bad election, voters are more volatile than they've ever been. You know, you can imagine a future where the Tory party lose catastrophically and they go on to elect someone even more right-wing like a swell of Rotman sort of type mm-hmm. and they just sort of fade into oblivion their donors leave them mm-hmm. you know they don't get what's the name for the funding that opposition parties get in a matter of that oh it's I don't know the, the name but oh, I know what you're on about you sorry know. I should know that <laughs> um, it's, um, and yeah and they just sort of like yeah. into oblivion France them. yeah France the yeah. socialists yeah you know whatever that result was in post, mm-hmm. it's it's post. What's his name? Hollande. Yeah. Um. They just became nothing. Yeah. Um. And I think that's also true. But I think you see similar things in Germany at the moment. Yeah. I mean, the SPD does look. I mean, maybe not that weak, mm. but the German political system is really fracturing. There aren't yeah. like two big parties in the way that they used to be, and it's just sort of like naive and sort of like slightly inward-looking, slightly myopic to assume that something similar couldn't happen here. Mm. Um. And I think that that risk is really underpriced. I just I keep saying this every podcast we have. I say like, oh, look at the socialist advance, or look at like someone here, there, and every. We were, uh, and the Tory party could die, and I just I don't think that the Tory party is taking that seriously, enough, mm. that outcome seriously enough. I think that the fact that Swilla Bradman is, you know, doing stuff like this, and that basically the whole load of backbench and frontbench MPs clearly vying for the future leadership, yeah, it suggests that they don't think that the Tory party is going to be dead because they think this if they were leader the Tory party they could, you know, that's a, that's an important thing to be, yeah, but. It might not be anything, you know. You might, sure you sort of might be the leader, but just of a of what? Of yeah. an established party. There's also, I mean, I think this is also just a symptom of how broad a te- uh, church they are. The fact that they have the moderates and the right wingers, and they're constantly at play with each other. And if they do lose as badly as they do next time, Reform UK polling is actually not doing terribly, considering how new they are as a party and i'm not saying that they're going to overtake the tories or anything and certainly not at the next election but looking beyond that mm. they they haven't got the same issue in the sense that, that them being a broad church sure. they're yeah. a very significant ideological they faction could drive that and split, they don't have that exactly they don't have that 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 divergence again i'm not in any way no, suggesting no. they're going to no, overtake the tories i think but, that's so, so interesting because you're right about this this is the thing that i think is is weird about this moment is that you're right to broad church, especially within the parliamentary and what we might describe mm. as the Conservative Party elite. Yeah. yeah. And what the Conservative Party elite have been very good at doing over time is, especially since, I don't know when they introduced the forms to membership, but, but especially since the leadership has been elected by the membership, they've been very good at pulling the Tory party back to electability. Mm. 
And they just don't, they're just, that was always in a sense, I guess, unsustainable given that the membership ultimately decides. Yeah. You saw they did it with Sunak and they got a lot of pushback there by basically rigging the election to make sure he went through. Yeah. And even then, that only really worked because such a massive fraction of Tory MPs were like, we can't do a Liz Trust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, because of the structure of Tory party leadership elections, it does come down to the membership. Mm. And while the parliamentary party is a broad church, the membership isn't. Mm. Yes. And so at the end of the day, they're fighting a tide that they just, it's just, it's sort of inescapable. It's intractable. They're just, the tide is going to sweep them away and the membership will eventually pull the Tory party to where it wants to be. I, I worry, by the way, that I think something similar could eventually happen to Labour. Yeah. And that the same dynamics apply and Keir Starmer looks like he's sort of saved Labour in that respect. But that there is a sense in which that's only temporary. And mm. that given that the Labour membership get the say at the end of the day, unless they change the structure of those elections, yeah. they will eventually pull them back. Have they changed the structure of those elections or not? No, no, no. no. Exactly. Um, and so I think that's, that's the risk that it, it's true for all political parties that try and bring or democratise their internal processes because to democratise them, you have to widen your sort of like membership slash voting base. Um, and unfortunately, when you are a political party, you do just attract the most political mm. people for those voting bases, and they might not be the most in tune with the wider electorate. Sorry, rant. But no, yeah. no, I'm, I'm with you. I yeah. I'm, <laughs> sorry, I've just got a great uh, video idea that I want to do tomorrow. Now, anyway. <laughs> oh, great. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. I think that's, that's Suella Braverman. That's, that's She's going to be leading a dying party. Well, that's might, the conclusion, right? That's yeah, the I conclusion. Saying, that's I'm the deal. Yeah. I'm going like a pillock when the. When oh, they're going to win next time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Sunak hangs on, or pursue the Braverman and places him and wins a 200 seat majority. Big Braverman then Farage. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Okay, so to round up, as always, let's look at the world leader leaderboard. I say that Whoa. if you're listening, then you can't, but. That's always a problem. Um, on the leaderboard, we've got all of the politicians that we've put on historically over previous weeks. The top of the board are the people who are doing the best. The bottom of the board are the people who are doing the worst. Each week, each of us gets to move one person up and one person down a space. Um, so let's start with the losers of the week. And Zach, let's start with your loser of the week. Who are you moving down on the board? I am moving down, or I should say, Mike, I am moving down Joe Biden. Oh, he was formerly at the very top of the board, wasn't he? He was doing very well. And I think, unfortunately, this betrays... Sorry, this is not going to... I I think, unfortunately, this betrays a sort of transatlantic divide of perceptions in that from the UK or Europe, Mm. Biden looks like he's having a great time. You know, he's got a functioning industrial policy. He's successfully deterred Iran from getting into the war. Mm. You know, his strong support for Ukraine has damaged Russia, although that's sort of changing now. Yeah. Um, But... He is not popular in America. Yeah. And polling by New York Times with Siena, I think, mm-hmm. found that not only Biden is now a couple of points behind Trump nationally, but he is also losing by five slash six points in all of the key swing states yeah. or like a handful of key swing yeah. states. Um, and, well, that's just that's just not good for the Democrats. And it makes the possibility of a Trump return, mm-hmm. it becomes a real possibility. Yeah. He now looks dangerously electable. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's a prejudiced thing to say. I just think anyone who wants like re- relative stability in mm-hmm. a time of such sort of precarious foreign policy or sort of like, you know, global politics, geopolitics. Yeah, yeah you probably don't want Donald Trump in there. Um, but yeah, anyway, that is the person I'm moving down. Ben, who are you moving down? Um, I'm moving Sunak down. Um, Ooh, broadly for two reasons. Um, number one is just basically what we've spent the last half an hour mm-hmm. discussing. 
Uh, but also just uh, his King's speech was relatively badly received. Yeah. Um, it was the longest speech since 2005 and had the least legislation in since 2014. <laughs> so Can I move the bad. king down too for having to deliver the speech? <laughs> <laughs> it's up to you. I mean, you're, 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 you run down. it, don't you? Yeah. There he comes. Oh, that's not much room. It's kind of brutal that we're moving him down. He's, he's not done anything. I think oh, he's he delivered pretty, a bad speech. I think he looked pretty sad delivering the speech. Yeah. I think you could see on his face he knew it was nonsense. Yeah. He didn't like some of the environmental stuff, you could tell. No. He looked quite unhappy during <laughs> those bits. <laughs> I really um, like the king at the moment. Oh, well. You put him up next week. <laughs> um, speaking of going up, who is your winner of the week? Who's going up, Zach? Mine is Keir Starmer. Ooh, okay, we cleared a space for Charles. Yeah. There we go. Why is Keir going up? I'm putting Keir Starmer up because I think in the sort of week or two preceding, uh, well, this podcast, but the last sort of like, let's say months, since, mm. since the Hamas attacks, really, um, the sort of consensus in the let's just I was gonna say the Westminster bubble but that's such a fucking like right wing talking point sure. like that. but the consensus in the Westminster bubble has been that Starmer's having a tough time mm. because his positioning on Gaza has sort of it's been difficult because he's trying to simultaneously demonstrate that he's not Jeremy Corbyn and that he takes anti-Semitism seriously mm -hmm. but also keep Muslim voters on side yeah. or Arab voters on side uh, and there's some very sort of tentative polling which should all be taken with a pinch of salt suggesting that Muslim and Arab voters are ditching the Labour Party um, but recent national polling just doesn't bear that out. Mm. And I think part of this is a symptom of the fact that, sure, they might be ditching the Labour Party, but where are they going to go? You yeah. know? Uh, like I saw some, I think some of the um, Navarra media people saying like, uh, pointing out some front benches and being like, oh, they've only got a, this larger majority. Let's let's get them out of office. Mm. And I was like, well, you get them out of office, you're just going to get a Tory in there instead, yeah. you know. Um, and yeah, so... I think he's doing pretty well because the national polling suggests that actually his lead has increased recently. Okay. Um, so that's just my one. I mean, he's, he's survived what looks like a turbulent time for mm -hmm. him. There's some internal disunity, but the headline polling is still pretty good. Yeah. Um, so, and I think I'm, that's good for Starmer. Ben, who's your loser of the week? Winner of the week, sorry. Winner of the week is Anthony Albanese. Uh, he's going up. He had a uh, meeting in China this week to try and reset diplomatic relations. Yeah. Um, and that seems to have gone well. Um, in the, the speeches he gave about it, he seemed to sort of address some of the concerns about, about uh, uh, you know, closer relationship he's pursuing with China uh, and some of the issues with, you know, the problematic you elements America? of doing that. No, China. Oh, okay. China. Okay. Um, and they've also agreed a new like visa scheme and all this to sure. try and demonstrate that they are they are a lot closer. So yeah, I think it's uh, it's company. He's having a good him. time. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's actually a very interesting story. I think yeah. Underreported. Well, look, I genuinely I was thinking that, and I was thinking that my unreported could have been the fact that the US is saying that they've confirmed a meeting between Xi and Biden at hmm. the sidelines of the things the Asia. She's doing pretty well summit. by the sounds of it too. Then he's meeting with everyone. Yeah, she is. Well, it depends what you mean by doing well, but yeah, he's definitely he's doing stuff. He's doing stuff. He's doing That's stuff. Undeniably true. <laughs> <laughs> Leader of the biggest country in the world is doing, doing stuff. stuff. Yeah, bare minimum, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, he's doing stuff. Okay, good. Great. <laughs> Insightful analysis from all of us today. Um, that's all we have time for in today's episode of the TLDR News Podcast. We'll be back again next week, maybe with Rory. Anyone off next Hopefully week? with Rory. Are we all here this week, next week? No, I'm here. Rory's cold. Oh, yeah, it's true. Yeah, well, that's true. Fingers crossed. We'll all be here next week for a big return, um, and we'll see you then.